Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? In the season's worst conditions, winter tires are a game changer. They elevate traction, control, and confidence. They sell only the best, like the full line of hand-cooked tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to your one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. Well, Happy 2018 to those of you who had yesterday off and weren't hanging out with us in the morning yesterday. And if you are not a college football fan, I feel bad for you, son. I don't know what you're doing with your life as a sports fan. Proof that God loves us is college football. And for many of you I know who, just like me, got up and were on the couch by noon Eastern yesterday and did not leave that couch, many of us, until after midnight Eastern yesterday or running into early this morning, I didn't sleep very much. I watched 12 hours of college football, and I couldn't be any happier with the overall outcome. There are so many things that I want to get to today. I'm going to open up the phone lines. You guys know that usually we don't have very many guests on Monday. In fact, zero. We're not going to have many guests today on Tuesday. You guys have the opportunity to read, respond, and react to everything that we just saw. 877-996-6369. I'm going to let you load up the phone lines. But there are many things that I want to get to from yesterday's college football action. And the first thing that I want to say, and I bet you're not going to hear this from hardly anybody else talking about college football games anywhere in the country today. I want to give props to the college football playoff selection committee because they had a really difficult decision to make. Do they put in Alabama, who didn't win their division, who didn't win their conference, who had just lost by 12 to Auburn on the road in the final week of the college football season, or did they put in Ohio State? And I think if you watched last night's Sugar Bowl game between Alabama and Clemson, 
There is no one on the planet who is being rational who can disagree with the college football playoff committee's decision to put Alabama into that game. Alabama didn't just beat number one Clemson. They physically dismantled them. That wasn't even a close game. Clemson never really challenged that game at all. Take away the fumble to start the second half, just a mishandled handoff that led to a field goal for Clemson to cut it to 10-6. to And Clemson really, in the moments that mattered in that game, had one drive at all about midway through the second half. Guys, they didn't have a first down in the first quarter. Alabama came out, and I was at this game in 2011. Apologies to LSU fans for having to bring it up. The 21 to nothing rematch national championship win for Nick Saban over his former school LSU in the Sugar Bowl, that's what this game felt like. Now, to Clemson's credit, at least they crossed midfield. But this felt like a dominant team exercising that dominance on the number one team in America. This is why Las Vegas favored Alabama to win the national championship as soon as they got into the playoff because they are the best team in college football. And the college football playoff committee's job is to put the four best teams into the playoff. And I think anybody who watched last night's games, I don't think there's anybody out there who's being rational and not operating just based on emotion They can say anything other than, you know what? Alabama deserved to be there. So I want to give the college football playoff committee props for making a tough decision, for making the right decision. I bet there's nobody else in America with a national show that will start off their radio show or their television show giving props to the committee. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to rip the decision-making of others when they don't necessarily subscribe to your opinion. I want to give those 13 people on that committee props for getting it right. And they had to be a little bit nervous watching this game because they knew if Alabama had come out and gotten beat like Clemson, gotten beat like Ohio State did last year by Clemson, everybody would have gone after the committee and said they were worthless and they were full of crap and they had made the wrong decision. And instead, Alabama went out and validated every bit of the decision-making that they made. So the committee gets it right. We've got an all-SEC title game. A lot of hate out there for the SEC. Lots of people out there that feel like the SEC is the evil empire. It gets right underneath your skin that now, in 12 years, we're going to have nine SEC champs. That in the past 40 years, for you Big Ten homers out there, it's a stat for you, the past 40 years, the Big Ten has won two and a half national championships. Michigan won half of a title when they split with Nebraska in 1997. Ohio State has won two in the last 40 years. Michigan has won one half. And by the way, how about my boy Jim Harbaugh? Greatest 8-5 and five season in the history of college football. Managing to notch down the fourth place in the Big Ten East, beat one team with a winning record all year, and come in second place in the Outback Bowl against an 8-4 and four South Carolina team. That's the greatest 8-5 and five season, according to the college football media, in the history of the sport. 
props to Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines. But when you look at the SEC's level of dominance, I want you to think about this with me for a minute. In the last 40 years, the Big Ten in football has two and a half titles. Two for Ohio State, one half for Michigan. The SEC is going to have 16 and a half titles in college football. And if Georgia beats Alabama, and guys, I think Georgia is going to beat Alabama. We have a lot of time to talk about that, but I'm not going to be one of those hosts who sits around and says, I'm not sure what's going to happen. You'll have to wait for six days to get my pick. No, I think Georgia, opening as a four-and-a-half-point underdog, according to our friends at Odd Shark, is going to beat Alabama. I have lots of reasons to unpack why, but if I am correct and that happens, then six different SEC teams, UT, that's Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Auburn, and Alabama will have won national titles in college football since 1998. So in 20 years, nearly half of the SEC will have won national championships. It really does just mean more in the SEC footprint. People care about college football more, and that leads to more winning. And deep down, I think that's why people view the SEC as the evil empire. Because if you're from Oklahoma, you wish you were in the SEC. You wish that people cared as much about college football in the Big 12 as they do in the SEC. You do. If you are Clemson, you wish you are in the SEC. Clemson people don't want to go play Pittsburgh and Syracuse and Boston College and Wake Forest. They want to play against SEC schools. If you are Ohio State, you wish that everybody in the Big Ten cared about college football like they do in the SEC. And the same thing is true at Penn State. And I think the same thing is true at Michigan. Your big-time college football programs, you wish that the teams in your conference cared as much and it was as much fun to go up against rivals that love the sport as much as you guys do. I think that's where a great deal of the disdain for the SEC comes from. It's jealousy. You wish that people in your conference, if you're at a good college football team, or if you love college football, you look around and say, damn, the SEC really does do it better than everybody else. And it's true. I say the best thing in American sports is SEC football on a Saturday night. If you haven't ever been to a game, put it on your bucket list. I started off this show saying the simple truth. If you're not a college football fan and you are a sports fan, I don't know what you're doing with your life. College football is proof that God loves us. It is the best sport in America, and there's not a close second. Now, it ain't flawless. Lots of warts on this thing. But from a sheer entertainment perspective, nothing matches college football. All right, several other things that I want to get to. I'm Clay Travis, by the way. This is Outkick the Coverage. If you're new, we got a lot of new affiliates starting. Welcome in to the rest of your life. We are better than anybody else, and we're going to be more entertaining just like the SEC in college football is. There are four halves of the college football playoff this year. The Rose Bowl by itself was a classic. I believe that the Rose Bowl standing alone was probably the second best game that I have ever seen in a BCS era 
or in a college football playoff era. Best game is still going to be, what is it, 12-0 Texas against 12-0 USC in the 2006 Rose Bowl. This is the second best game in college football I've ever seen. Double overtime, Georgia, 54-48 over Oklahoma. Scintillating game. I don't know. I By the end of this game, I felt like I had fought a heavyweight fight. And I didn't even care who won, really, at all down the stretch of that game. People say, oh, you're an SEC homer. You wanted Georgia. Look, that was such a good game that I was excited about watching Alabama against Georgia. Or I was excited about watching Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma against Alabama, too. I felt very comfortable that Alabama was going to beat Clemson. So when that game ended, I was like, man, I felt like I had run a marathon. I just drained, physically drained, just from sitting on my couch and watching that football game. Flat out phenomenal. There were four halves, okay? Three of them went exactly like what I expected. I've watched a lot of Oklahoma all year. I've watched parts of every one of their games. I've watched every one of Georgia's games. I've watched every one of Alabama's games. And I've watched every one of Clemson's games. Not every snap, but the majority of the games and certainly every snap pretty much in every game that mattered in a substantial way for all four of those teams. Okay? I felt like I had a pretty good read on what was going to happen. If you listen to our show yesterday, I feel like kind of nailed it. What to anticipate in this game, these games. Three of the halves, totally right. Alabama and Clemson was exactly what I expected. You go read the picks at OutKick. I said, I think Alabama wins 24-14 and stifles the Clemson offense. Kelly Bryant is not Deshaun Watson. Nick Saban is not losing this game. I gave Clemson too much credit. They only scored six, three points on a drive of their own. Otherwise, they picked up a fumble on a mishandled handoff, and they got dominated. That's nothing against Clemson. Dabo Sweeney's got a really good program. Dabo's not Saban yet. Saban still is the king of college football. Nick Saban, by the way, this is an amazing stat. Nick Saban in his career, 15-2 and two in college football title games where he's 5-1, and one, in college football playoff games, which are not national title games, he's 3-1, and one, only lost there to Ohio State in 2014. And in SEC title games, he's 7-0. That makes Nick Saban 15-2 and two in conference title games, national title games, or college football playoff games. Guys, we're never going to see anything like that again. It's why the guys like Skip Bayless who were like, oh, Nick Saban, remember last week Skip Bayless tweeted out, oh, Nick Saban can't win the big game. It's literally the dumbest argument I've ever seen a dumb man make. Skip Bayless should be ashamed of himself for some of the stuff that he argues. But Nick Saban now 15-2. and two. Four halves. Alabama-Clemson, exactly what we expected to see. Nick Saban, anaconda-like, strangles the life out of the Clemson defense. Oh, by the way, might be a good idea for somebody to go hire that Jeremy Pruitt guy. I know he didn't hold Iowa to 55 points like Greg Schiano, but how about that Alabama defense and what Jeremy Pruitt did to the number one team in college football who in the previous two games that had played had averaged 
nearly 38 points a game. Some pretty big competition on the road against South Carolina and then dominating Miami in the ACC title game. They shut down a really good Clemson offense, Alabama did. The only exception, first half of the Rose Bowl, Oklahoma came out with lightning fuel, and I think the moment was a little bit too big for a young Georgia team that hadn't been on that stage very much. And I defy very many of you out there who when Oklahoma ran that splendid third down throw from the wide receiver to Baker Mayfield for a touchdown to go up 31-14, I defy very many of you out there to say that you thought Georgia was going to win that football game. Then what happens? Squib kick goes awry. Georgia bombs through a 55-yard field goal, scores the next 24 unanswered. The first half of the four halves in the Rose Bowl was the only one that really surprised me. What I expected to see was what happened in the second half, and I don't think this has gotten very much attention. How much credit do you have to give to Kirby Smart and that Alabama and that Georgia coaching staff to be able to go in at halftime, refashion everything that you were doing, and then hold the Heisman Trophy winner and an Oklahoma offense that feels like it's unstoppable to 10 total points in the entire second half and two overtime games, two overtime periods. Now, I think you could argue that Lincoln Riley got a little bit conservative, that he took the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands too often, that he ran the football too much in the second half and in the overtimes. I think if you want to be critical, it's that Lincoln Riley did not go for the crushing opportunity, the crushing blows when he had an opportunity to do it. He didn't do it, okay? I think that's the criticism you can toss out if you want to criticize anybody in the college football playoff. It's Lincoln Riley's play calling in double overtimes and everything kind of surrounding there. He didn't do everything that he could have. But in general, how about that performance by the Georgia defense? You give up 31 in the first half. You're on the ropes, taking body blow after body blow. And then in the second half, Kirby Smart's defense shows up, and what I expected to happen did happen. A good defense beats a really good offense. In the second half, we saw it. Oklahoma got the ball an awful lot. They scored 10 points. Credit to Oklahoma, one late drive. They also picked up a fumble and score, but I'm talking about the offense. The offense scored one touchdown in the second half, and they kicked a field goal in two overtime possessions that started at the 25-yard line. That's a credit to what that Kirby Smart defense was capable of accomplishing. And I believe that we're going to see an ugly, physical, mirror image game. It's basically two sides of the same coin fighting with each other. I think Georgia's going to win the national title. I think Georgia and Kirby Smart with Jake Fromm, who is better, I believe, than Jalen Hurts, and we can get into this a lot this week. I think Alabama's not a perfect team. Like Their offense is not very good, and I think that's because Jalen Hurts is just okay. He's a athlete-playing quarterback still in his second year, not a quarterback. He can run and make plays for you, but he can't convert on third and eight consistently, which is what quarterbacks have to do to be great. 
It's all all well and good if you make plays on first and second down or if you can occasionally scramble for a first down. Quarterbacks in the NFL and in college football and, frankly, in high school as well make their bones, if they are any good, on converting with passes on third and eight when everybody knows they're going to throw. If you can't do that, you're not a great quarterback. Jalen Hurts is just an okay quarterback. I think Jake Fromm, actually pretty good. True freshman quarterback to do what he did on the road against a great Oklahoma team in the Rose Bowl. I think, if anything, he is being undersold for as a true freshman. Last year, this dude was playing at high school. He brought his team back from 17 down in the Rose Bowl against the Heisman Trophy winner. I know he's got great running backs in Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. I think what he accomplished, totally undersold. All right, I'm fired up. I hope you guys are fired up. Going to bring in the crew in the next segment. We'll also take your calls. You can react to everything that I just said. 877-996-6369. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. And let me tell you, does your business have any New Year's resolutions? Here's an important one every business should consider. Make your hiring process more efficient and effective. This year, let ZipRecruiter help. No one can do a better job of transforming how you find the right talent than they can. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. They even review every application to identify the top candidates so you never miss a great match. No wonder 80% of employees who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, the list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Uh, we are off and running here, and um, boy, still kind of in awe over that Rose Bowl game, which I think is an instant classic. Georgia gets past, felt bad to see anybody lose that game. Uh, let me go ahead and bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia, find out uh, what's uh, rolling here in the world of sports early in 2018. Then I'll bring in the crew and get more reaction as we unpack the wild day of college football, 12 straight hours on my couch. I'm sure a lot of hours on your couches as well. Well, Clay, of course, we start with the college football playoff semifinals and the Sugar Bowl, a slugfest as Alabama gets by Clemson 24-6, but it was all about Alabama's defense. They had an interception return for a touchdown, held the Tigers out of the end zone. Even on one of their offensive touchdowns, it was a defensive lineman, Deron Payne, who scored on a goal line play on a catch from quarterback Jalen Hurts. So Alabama advanced to the national title game. Their opponent will be fellow SEC team Georgia as they outscore Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. 
54-48 in double overtime for the Bulldogs running back Sonny Michelle had three touchdowns, including a 27-yarder in the second overtime that ended the game as the Bulldogs rallied down 17 points to win this and they were trailing 31-14 in the second quarter. OU quarterback and Heisman Trophy winner Baker Mayfield, two touchdown passes and a touchdown catch in the loss. So next Monday, it's Alabama versus Georgia in the national title game. Other college football bowl action, Central Florida finishes off a 13-0 season with a 34-27 win over Auburn in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. Notre Dame gets by LSU in the Citrus Bowl, 21-17 on a great catch and run in the fourth quarter by wide receiver Miles Boykin. And South Carolina rallied down 16 points to beat Michigan 26-19 in the Outback Bowl. This report brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area pay for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car and enjoy more confident car buying experience and clay in the nfl we had three coaches being dismissed on monday jim caldwell of the lions john fox of the bears and chuck pagano of the colts good deal uh, a little bit of point of clarification here nick saban 15 and 3 in national title games college football playoff games and sec title games the greatest big game coach in college football history the only three games he's lost in those out of 18 he lost uh, the first sec title game he played at alabama against Tim Tebow in Florida, who went on to win the national championship. He lost uh, to Ohio State in the first round of the 2014 college football playoff. And obviously last year he lost with one second remaining in a game against uh, Clemson. And I want to bring in my crew, Jason Martin, Danny G, and I believe uh, Robert out in L.A. And guys, I obviously hit it hard off the top there, 20-minute monologue about how amazing the college football playoff games were. Uh, but for you, were what else kind of stood out? Start with you, Jason Martin. I mean, you like I said, you pretty much laid it out, or like you said, that Rose Bowl. I was thinking about it last night. I was watching it with a couple of other friends, and you know, we were talking about those three Rose Bowls. We were talking about Texas-USC. We were talking about last year's Rose Bowl with USC and Penn State, which I think may be forgotten about at this point, which was just an absolutely spectacular game. And then this one with actual stakes in the college football playoff going to double overtime. Just what an unbelievable game. And I think you realized in the fourth quarter just how great this football game actually was. I honestly believe this. I think if Georgia does not get that field goal at the end of the first half and they go in and look at 31-14, to 14, for some reason, and I said it as to the other people in the room with me, 31-17 felt a lot better to me for Georgia than 31-14 did. It's only three points, but it seemed like 31-14 looked like a blowout. 31-17, it's like, ah, oh, it's two scores. It's no big deal. So I honestly think that if Georgia doesn't get that field goal, Oklahoma wins it, and they might have won it fairly easily. I feel like that changed it. That was huge for Georgia to get points before they went in at half, and that gave them a little bit of momentum, something to feel good about. And then, of course, they made the adjustments, came out and did what they did in the second half. But what a football game. What an awesome, just awesome experience to just sit there and watch that game and just enjoy sports at its best. Uh, obviously the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. You saw Baker Mayfield on the sidelines pretty much break down when Georgia won the football game. It was just great. And then the late game, even as an Alabama fan, that certainly didn't live up to the to the first game, but I don't think anybody assumed it would. It went down kind of like we thought. Clemson does not have that great an offense. They just don't. Kelly Bryant is not Deshaun Watson. It made it a lot easier for Alabama to strangle that game away. It had a lot of that Washington game feel from last year, which we discussed on the New Year's show yesterday, Clay. We had to, you know, that was that was the recipe. That seemed like a game that was right there for Alabama to win it, and they did. Although in that first half, you felt like they should have been up twenty-one to three, 
and they weren't, which scared you a little bit if you're an Alabama fan because this is Dabo Swinney, and in a close football game, you never know what's going to happen. But then you get 14 points in 13 seconds, and that ball game is completely over. So I didn't think that the second one necessarily provided the drama, but it did provide a reason for anybody that hates Alabama. It, well, it gave them no reason, really. It gave them no reason to say that anybody should have been over them. And even though everybody's going to talk about the SEC fatigue this week and say this is not a great matchup on a national level and roll their eyes, it's going to be an just unbelievable atmosphere next week in Atlanta with Georgia and Alabama. $2, I saw the secondary market yeah. ticket. Yeah, $2,500, I think, is what I saw it's going last to be the, night. That's an it, insane. It's going to be the toughest ticket in the history of college football. I mean, I, I already have people. When I woke up this morning, my phone had blown up with friends and relatives saying, like, hey, do you have any ends to try to get tickets? Uh, that thing is going to be like college football Woodstock. And yeah. as expensive as the tickets are, First of all, Georgia hasn't played for a national title since 1981 or whatever the heck it is with Herschel Walker. So everybody who is a Georgia fan and lives in the Atlanta vicinity, they don't have to pay for a room or board or it's going to kill the hotels, right? And Alabama, like, everybody's going to drive in too. So it's not like you have to travel for airfare. It's not like you have to pay for, you know, $400 a night hotel rooms. There are a million people uh, easily who are Georgia and Alabama fans that can drive in to that game at the at the in Atlanta. We'll be there on Monday and Tuesday doing our show live and we'll be able to go to that game. So, it, you know, as expensive as the tickets are going to be and they are going to be brutally expensive, if you're a dad mom and you're trying to take your kids, if you've got money saved up uh, and you desperately love Georgia for instance or you desperately love Alabama and you want to go to this game, you'll be able to afford, I think, to get in there a little bit, a little bit it will help the pricing because you have the ability to take advantage of the fact you can drive there. And so you don't have to pay for an airfare. You don't have to pay for hotel rooms. You can go in and out in the same day, and that can make that trip a lot more affordable to people who otherwise, frankly, wouldn't have the money to be able to afford to get in there. I think the biggest storyline that I, to me is left after watching these two games is did Lincoln Riley take the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands late in that game. And I think about several plays in particular. Uh, first, when they kicked back to uh, to Georgia and allowed Fromm and Co. to go come down and tie it on the Nick Chubb Wildcat run with about 55 seconds left, they ran a option play with Baker Mayfield, and the guys didn't have good spacing, and Georgia stopped them. That gave Georgia the opportunity. I believe I'm remembering this correctly. That gave that the Georgia the opportunity play? to get... Yeah, they gave Georgia the opportunity to get the ball back. And then in overtime, the first overtime Georgia I mean came out and kicked the field goal and then Oklahoma went three and out I believe I'm correct in this three and out maybe they got up one first down but I believe they went three and out and did not run a pass play for Baker Mayfield they ran it to the top side of the field and uh, Roquan Smith just absolutely devastated that play it was a handoff play but you didn't let Baker Mayfield throw and it was fourth and less than a yard or whatever, and they came out and they kicked a field goal. And then I just thought that Lincoln Riley really kind of puckered up in that situation. I thought they have played, like their big argument at Oklahoma all year has been nobody can stop our offense. We've got this swaggering, badass quarterback who's fearless, who's going to run all over the field and make plays. And then in crunch time, in the crucible moments of that game, they did not give Baker Mayfield an opportunity 
to actually go out and win the football game. It was like Oklahoma puckered up. They got nervous, and they didn't let Baker Mayfield be Baker Mayfield. That's the number one criticism I would have from what was a great game. Somebody had to lose, and when you go back and you look at this game in hindsight, to me it would be that Lincoln Riley did not go balls to the wall with a balls to the wall offense. I want to bring in my guys uh, in LA, Danny G and Robert. Do you guys agree with me? Is that a fair? You're in LA. You're out there where the Rose Bowl is. You're, yeah. you're genuine college football fan, fans, not like hardcores. But watching that, did you feel like Baker got to be Baker down the stretch there? If I'm Oklahoma, that's my biggest criticism of that loss. No, I mean that was not obviously not the Baker that we had in the first half, and I agree with you. Lincoln Riley got way too cute in the second half foot on the gas pedal, but no matter what they were calling there for Oklahoma, I just think that running back duo on the other side was... Sonny Michelle and yeah, Nick and Chubb. Yeah, Nick phenomenal. Chubb, unstoppable, and I'm partial to running backs because that was my old position on the field. I love uh, Chubb's running style, and uh, they passed Eric Dickerson and Craig James for the most rushing yards between teammates in in history uh that 50 yard td run from chubb was incredible he added another one michelle had three touchdowns himself uh i was looking at the total here 326 yards five tds in an insane 15.6 yards per carry that is amazing and they're both going to be fun to watch in the nfl yeah it was it, it was flat out scintillating i mean college football action. We haven't even gotten into any of the earlier games. We'll continue to unpack everything that happened there. I'm going to open up the phone lines here, 877-996-6369. We'll take some of your calls. You can react to everything we've said in the first 40-some-odd minutes of the show. If this is your first with us of 2018, thanks for hanging with us. 2017 was a spectacular year for OutKick, and uh, I only expect better things coming in 2018 as well. It's Georgia-Alabama, toughest ticket in the history of college football history, national title game. Your reaction to everything that took place yesterday, up next here on OutKick, the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com. And in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance as well. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? TaxSlayer was recently rated number one for maximum refund. So you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want. This tax season, go out and slay it. Max your refund at TaxSlayer.com. Some of the earlier games, I I just kind of want to reiterate this. We need an eight-team college football playoff, and that's because Central Florida went out, and what did I tell you on the early show, if you were up early with us on New Year's Eve, or New Year's Day, sorry, yesterday, on Monday, we did the show, and I said, the reason why I'm not touching this Central Florida game is because against Auburn, this is the biggest game that Central Florida will play in probably the history of their program. I don't think they're going to be 12-0 and trying to go 13-0 and very often. And they will be talking about this game to their grandchildren. And it's the fifth biggest game that Auburn has played since Halloween. And I just didn't think that Auburn was going to show up in the same level of intensity that, South, that Central Florida was going to play, show up with. But to me, what that demonstrates is we need a college football playoff system where Central Florida doesn't just go 13-0 and and get a big win like this over Auburn, and then nothing else matters for their season. We don't need to have that be a viable option. And so to me, 
eight-team college football playoff is the way to go. All five major conference title champs, and then two wild cards, and then the best team from the non-Power 5 conferences. And so Central Florida, then if they had gotten a win, and by the way, you play that game on campus, you play all of the top four seeds, get to host campus games, you play it in mid-December, and then you fill in the final four just like you do now. Two at neutral sites for the semifinals, and then one big college football national championship game in one location. Makes total sense. It's an easy fit. I don't know why the college football universe has been opposed to it, but these are the same people who told you that the playoff would kill college football. And is there a single person left on earth who watched the Rose Bowl and said, you know what, man, this semifinal college football situation is really killing the regular season. Is there anybody who we came down the stretch and had all that reaction over which four teams should be in the playoff that thought, man, this is totally gutting the college football landscape um, (laughs) by the fact that we've got a playoff going on. These are the same people who made that argument. So anybody who would argue against the expansion of the college football playoff, that's what I would say to you. Now, eight's the right number. I would cement it at eight. I don't think you need to go any bigger than that. But eight is the long-range right number, and it would set up a good system so that the Central Floridas and all the non-major college football teams out there felt like they still had a chance to win a championship. And I think that's the biggest flaw right now of the bowl system in general, unless you're a gambler. And I understand all the Big Ten people are like, hey, let's beat our chest. We were so good. Yeah, you were playing inferior competition, and your best teams were playing against lower-tier competition elsewhere. Let me explain. The SEC played up. The best two teams in the SEC were Alabama and Georgia. If Alabama and Georgia had not made the college football playoff, they would have played against other teams outside of the college football playoff. That means that the SEC's lower-rate teams, and by the way, SEC Big Big Ten head-to-head, the Big Ten got one win. And it was over Kentucky, who was throwing into the end zone for a two-point conversion play at the end of that game. But you would have had all the SEC's teams slotted against inferior teams as opposed to playing at a higher scale. In other words, like Kentucky was what? The 10th best team in the SEC? And they're playing against Northwestern, who's something like the 5th best team in the Big Ten? Uh, You wouldn't have had a situation like that. You would have had... A, uh, a more even distribution of teams going head-to-head. So the Big Ten got to play down against weaker opponents, but give the Big Ten credit. They won games that matter. They got a lot of good coaches. SEC has better players. I think the SEC coaching has gotten a lot better, unless you are LSU, in which case I think every week of every year until Ed Ogeron is, gonna, is fired, you guys are going to get a little bit worse. And I think it's hard for LSU fans to admit it But watching that game against Notre Dame, tell me that you feel good about the future of LSU's program. Watching what Georgia was capable of doing against against Oklahoma in year two of Kirby Smart and what Alabama continues to be capable of doing against the number one team in college football. And tell me you think, oh, Ed Ogeron's in good shape now to be able to win championships at LSU. It's not going to happen. I think he's going to get fired at the end of next year. Just not a good coach. Bad hire for LSU. I know he's got the same voice as you. Oh, he sounds like us. That's great. I don't want a guy who sounds like me giving me open heart surgery. 
I want a guy who's the best at the job. And so if the best thing you can say about their coach is, oh, he sounds like us. He's Cajun like us. Uh, good luck with that. You're in trouble, LSU. Uh, that was a takeaway from, from that game. Central Florida, again, I think the biggest takeaway there needs to be 18 playoff. They should be able to play for a championship. Jim Harbaugh. Guys, Jim Harbaugh is the most overrated coach in the history of college football. Guy just finished off an 8-5 and five season. He's been there three years. He's supposed to be a quarterback guru, and his quarterbacks stink. Now, maybe because he finally got Shea Patterson, they're going to be fine and better if Shea Patterson can come off the injury and play well for him. But that's three years. That's all in Jim Harbaugh. Quarterback situation stinks after three years. That's all in the head coach. You've had an opportunity to go get a guy who can win at a high level, and you haven't done it. And Michigan went 8-5 and five this year. They and Missouri were the only teams in the bowl season to have only one win over a team with a winning record. And they're just not very good. And Jim Harbaugh is supposed to be this gift to the college football coaching universe. And really all he's done is provoke lame feuds, argue in favor of satellite camps, and take his team to go practice in Rome, in Italy. What has he actually done on the field? He's 1-5 in five against Ohio State, and Michigan State combined, this guy is the most overrated coach in the history of college football. And we saw it when his team choked again against Will Muschamp in year two at South Carolina. Props to South Carolina and Will Muschamp getting to nine wins. But that was about Michigan stinking more than it was about what South Carolina did. Michigan's just not very good in year three under Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh is the fourth best coach in his own division got people out there in the media and people out there who are fans like Jim Harbaugh is a genius. He's a coaching savant. He's not as good as Urban Meyer. He's not as good as James Franklin. He's not as good as Mark D'Antonio. And you know what? I don't think he's as good as Scott Frost. I think he's the fifth best coach in the Big Ten. Your reactions, we'll go back in, dive back into the larger picture. 877-996-6369. I promise I'll get to you. Hour two, your calls. This is Outkick, the coverage on Fox Sports Radio, and we are reacting to an all-SEC title game here on a great day in 2018. Welcome in. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios. Happy 2018 for those of you who are starting your work week today. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. We saw one of the greatest college football games of all time come to a unbelievable conclusion in double overtime. Georgia going up against Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. 54-48 was the final. We've got a couple of audio cuts from you guys that I want to hit and let you hear what Baker Mayfield had to say after the game. um, Can't believe it's over. It's uh, been a wild ride. Being with the best coach in the country, there's a reason I'm sitting here today, and there's a reason that we've won three Big 12 titles in a row, uh, and that, that I put myself in a good position going forward in the future. And there's a reason our team is in the playoffs this year. Uh, it's words can't describe what he's meant to me and for the other guys. I hope it's the same. That's Baker Mayfield breaking down uh, Lincoln Riley and what he has meant to the Oklahoma Sooners. And I'll tell you what. My Twitter feed blew up with people who were in the... I I don't know how long it will take. Let me put it this way. 
for Lincoln Riley's coaching status to be higher than it was right after that incredible third down call, the throwback to Baker Mayfield that made it 31-14. to Because at that point in time, my Twitter feed blew up, and NFL people were all like, hey, maybe Baker Mayfield should be an NFL. I mean, maybe uh, Lincoln Riley should be an NFL coach. And every college football uh, fan in America was like, man, what an unbelievable call at that situation. And then everything kind of went awry for Oklahoma. They ended up getting stifled by the Georgia defense like I anticipated would happen. And in retrospect, I'd like to go back and watch if Oklahoma got to play Georgia again next week. I think the Georgia defense would stifle Oklahoma next week. I really do. I think if they had I think there were a lot of nerves from that Georgia defense in the first half. I think they were out of position. I think they made a lot of mistakes on the defensive side of the ball in the first, was it four possessions when Oklahoma scored? I think Oklahoma scored on their first four possessions touchdowns to get to twenty eight. Or maybe it was the first three touch sorry, maybe it was the first three possessions and then they kicked a field goal on the fourth and you felt like, oh wow. Georgia really dodged a bullet there. I think that was maybe what happened. Uh, but so Oklahoma gets three straight touchdowns to begin the game. And then in the second half, look, they had a ball a lot of times. They get one touchdown, and they get one field goal in two overtime periods. And I think a lot of people who are Oklahoma fans are sitting around saying, did we take the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands? Did we not allow him the opportunity to play to the fullest extent of his talents and I think that's the question I mean you go into overtime to me and run the ball three straight times and then settle for a field goal in that first overtime after Georgia has been held to a field goal that was Oklahoma's time to win the game if you want to go and frankly Oklahoma's time to win the game was late in the second half as well when Oklahoma ran the option pitch with Baker Mayfield the running back was too close to him I think those are legitimately fair questions to ask if you're a Sooners fan and you're sitting around saying, man, we were oh so close. Now, I do think if Oklahoma had gotten into the title game with Alabama that Alabama would have won because it's hard to bet against Alabama. Even though I just said that I'm going to do it with Georgia, I saw open as a four-and-a-half-point underdog, uh, according to our friends at Odd Sharks. But if you look at Nick Saban, greatest big game coach in the history of college football, and I think he further burnished his legacy with the dominating performance that he put forward. I mean, again, think about this for Nick Saban. 5-1 and one in national title games. The only national title game that he lost was on the pass to Hunter Renfro with one second left. That's how close he is to being 6-0. and 3-1 in non-title playoff games. The only one he lost was to Ohio State, which went on to win the national title in 2014 for Urban Meyer. 7-1 and one in SEC title games. And the only game he lost was to Tim Tebow and the Florida Gators, who went on to win the national title by beating Oklahoma that year. So Nick Saban is 15-3 and in SEC, national title game, and college football playoff games. And the only three losses he's had in those 18 games were all to the eventual national champions. That's unbelievable. That's a level of dominance that, frankly, we have never seen before in the history of college football. And I don't think we're ever going to see it again. Nick Saban again, fifteen and three in national title games where he's five and one, in playoff games where he's three and one, and in uh, SEC title games where he's seven and one, and all three of the losses were to teams that went on to win national championships. 
That's pretty eye-opening, pretty amazing stat. And crazily, maybe some of you are saying you're insane, Clay. I'm picking Georgia to pull off the upset. And if Georgia does that, I mean, there are six different SEC teams that have won national championships since 1998. Uh, let me bring in the crew a little bit there. If anything, is, is Nick Saban underrated? I feel like a level of dominance from Nick Saban. Like my dad told me after the Rose Bowl, I'm not even going to watch the Sugar Bowl because I know what's going to happen in that game. It's not going to be that exciting, and Alabama is just going to strangle Clemson to death. And I feel like if you've watched a lot of Alabama football games, that's kind of the way you feel. And I, and I will say, if you're a college football fan, you're sitting back, the difference between Georgia going up against Alabama and Oklahoma going up against Alabama is probably that the overall aesthetics of this game is not going to be that pleasing. I don't think there's going to be a lot of points scored. I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be physical, grueling, dominant brand of ball. And that's what ultimately wins in the SEC. You know, I was talking uh, with a couple of former coaches in the SEC, and we got into a discussion about Tennessee almost hiring Mike Leach. And what they were saying was, look, you win in college football, ultimately, in really big games on the line of scrimmage. You can have a great quarterback. You can have great skill position players. But ultimately, in order to win at a high level, you have to have great dominant line of scrimmage play, offensive and defensive line, because that's what you can't fake. You can spread teams out, and you can fling the ball around, but at some point in time, if you got a big dominant D tackle or you got a great couple of defensive ends and they can't be blocked, you win. And the same thing is true in college football on the offensive line. If you've got the ability to protect your guys, run the football, throw it on play action, you win. And that's ultimately the Nick Saban school. That's what wins ultimately in college football. It wins against spread offenses. It wins against uh, teams that are also trying to do that. That was my argument for why I didn't ever think Arkansas under Brett Bielema was going to be able to beat Alabama or LSU because they're running the same style offensive scheme with worse players. Nick Saban, the only way you beat Nick Saban is by getting better players than him. And that's what Kirby Smart's trying to do. I'm not sure he's there right now. Ultimately, I don't believe in Jalen Hurts. After watching Jalen Hurts play every game for two years, I don't think this Alabama offense is that good. I think that's been the flaw in pretty much Alabama over the last two years. Reason why Clemson won, Alabama scored 31 points because they couldn't convert any third downs. And their defense got tired late last year against Deshaun Watson. Reason why Alabama lost to, uh, to Auburn, it's because their offense was awful on third down. I think that Fromm is better at quarterback already than Jalen Hurts is. I think that Alabama and Georgia are mirror images of each other. There's not going to be many points scored. Both these teams have incredible running backs. They have great wide receivers. I think the difference in this game is going to be Fromm versus Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts can make plays with his legs, and that's fantastic. But I don't think that Georgia is going to let him make very many plays with his legs. And I think ultimately Fromm is more reliable in the passer game. When it comes down to third and eight, I think Fromm is going to make the right throw at the right time. You with me or against me early on this, Jason Martin? I'm against you. Not totally. I mean, I understand your point, but I don't know how many teams have been able to beat Nick Saban that try to run the football against him. As good as what we've seen from those Georgia backs are, I mean, go back to LSU in that title game. They wanted to run the ball because they didn't have an elite quarterback that they completely trusted 
that could beat him and what happened. He strangled him to death. They weren't able to get past the 50-yard line. Yeah, but they the had ball. A.J. McCarron. Yeah, I know they had what you would they, consider Jaylen to be Hurts a much is better not quarterback. Good. No, Jaylen I agree. I mean, I think he's I think he's very close to J.T. Barrett in a lot of respects, which is not Barrett. a flattering – well, that's not a flattering thing to say either way. But Jalen Hurts has been there before. Jake Fromm is still a freshman. I just don't trust Jake Fromm enough. I think that those two teams, I do think it's going to be a low-scoring football game. But at the end of the day, at least right now, and maybe I could change my mind, I had picked Oklahoma to win it all. I'll go ahead and admit that right now. Before before the playoffs started, I believed Oklahoma was going to win it all. And I think they had an opportunity to do it if they got past Georgia. I felt like they were the team that had enough with both sides with what Anderson could do on the ground and certainly what Mayfield could do uh, under center to get it done. But without an elite quarterback, I just don't think you can beat Nick Saban on this stage, and I just don't buy it yet from Jake Fromm. He is not bad, no question about that. I think he's going to be very good. I just don't think it's quite time yet for them to be able to slay the beast. He threw. He made a bunch of big-time throws in that game, I thought. And look, all the attention went to Baker Mayfield leading into that game. Also, I think an interesting story point is that Jalen Hurts was sick and the Baker Mayfield being sick story was like all everybody was talking about. Is he going to show up at the press conference? Look how he sounds when he talks. Nobody even knew that Jalen Hurts was sick at all. That's how much control Nick Saban has over everything surrounding the Alabama program. Baker Mayfield being sick is like a massive story, and everybody talks about it. Jalen Hurts missed a couple of practices because he was sick, and nobody even knew. I mean, that, that, that's I don't know how. I don't know how Nick Saban is like the master of the dark arts here, that it's a huge story. I mean, we talked about that a great deal. Uh, it was one of the top media stories. How sick is Baker Mayfield? Oh, he's got the flu. Is he going to show up at the press availabilities? Oh, how's he going to be able to uh, perform at uh, practice? How's he look? All these different things. Jalen Hurts has the, maybe the same thing going on, and he's a quarterback at every bit as big of a game and the bigger game, frankly, because I think Alabama and Clemson got more attention coming in than Georgia and Oklahoma did, even though Georgia-Oklahoma ended up better. And somehow Nick Saban has so much control over everything surrounding his program that nobody even manages to find out that Jalen Hurts isn't practicing and that he's sick. It's a Jedi, like, evil mind trick. I don't know how he pulls it off. All right, uh, I promise I'll take your calls next. 877-996-6369. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. Thanks for starting off your 2018 with us here on Fox Sports Radio. Our shopping can be confusing. With terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice, True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Uh, we have got a couple of audio clips I want to hit you with. This is Davin Bellamy from Georgia telling Baker Mayfield that he needs to humble himself um, right here. Humble yourself! Humble yourself! Humble yourself! Um, and uh, after uh, – it was interesting. Baker Mayfield obviously always very um, demonstrative on the sideline. I, I thought that one of the most overplayed stories of the 2017 season in college football was Baker Mayfield grabbing his groin and the fact that like everybody treated it like it was a, a, a freaking terror attack on a college football field uh, when he grabbed his groin in the direction of the Kansas sideline. It's kind of funny. The Michigan kicker did the same thing after he made a field goal at the end of the first half in the Outback Bowl against South Carolina. And I haven't heard a single person even mention it. 
um, which is to me evidence of Baker Mayfield being held to just a totally different standard than everybody else. Lamar Jackson's the defending Heisman Trophy winner. He starts a brawl against Kentucky. Nobody talks about it. Uh, the head, the, the the player for South Florida scores a touchdown and uh, pantomimes a uh, gesture that could get me fired if I described it too graphically into the student section. Nobody mentions it. Uh, the Ole Miss player scores late in the uh, game against Mississippi State, hikes up his leg and pretends to pee on the field. Nobody mentions it. Baker Mayfield grabs his groin on the sideline against Kansas in a game that nobody cares about, and ESPN turns it into the equivalent of a terror attack on a football field. So Baker Mayfield is incredibly boisterous. He's obviously very cocky. I enjoy watching him play. I mean, he's a lot like Johnny Manziel, and I think for many people out there, the question about Baker Mayfield is going to turn into what kind of NFL quarterback is he going to be? And I think that's going to be overall the number one story leading into the NFL draft is where does Baker Mayfield go? Much like it was with Johnny Manziel, much like, frankly, it was with Deshaun Watson. He's not going to project as a top 10 pick, but there's going to be a lot of people out there who say, man, I want Baker Mayfield. Also, a lot of people out there who are going to say, man, I don't want my team anywhere near Baker Mayfield. He's polarizing. Is he the next Russell Wilson or is he the next Johnny Manziel? I think that's going to be a huge debate, basically the same size as both those guys. And the answer is we don't know. And the other big debate, obviously, for the NFL draft is going to be what are going to be the decisions of Josh Rosen? I think it's everybody uh, under the assumption that he's coming out. But is Sam Darnold going to stay? Maybe. And how bad, by the way, did USC look? Uh, If you're a USC fan, and we didn't come on the day after that game and talk about it because I was up in Michigan, USC looked awful on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, just atrocious in terms of their play calling and the control that they had. I can't tell you that I think it's a very good idea for Sam Darnold to come back. I don't think Clay Helton's offense is making him that much better. I think it's possible that he's regressing. And by the way, I think the same thing could be true of Jalen Hurts. I don't think Jalen Hurts is much better this year than he was last year. I think it's possible that he's getting worse. He's missing a lot of throws. I mean, he could have put that game away almost early. If you remember the the uh, flea flicker, he had Calvin Ridley open by three yards. If he leads him there, that's a touchdown. I think in that situation, Alabama would have gone up 17-3. to that would have basically shut the door on Clemson to go up two touchdowns in that game. Clemson had no hope of moving the football against this Alabama defense. If Jalen Hurts makes that throw, the game's over. I, I just The more I watch Jalen Hurts, the less I believe in him as a quarterback. He's a great athlete. He has not made the step from athlete to quarterback. And if I'm Nick Saban, I'm not even sure that, that Jalen Hurts is my starter coming back next year. Even if they win the national championship this year. I think Tua... Tua Longvela, whose name I probably just tongue Vela, uh, the guy from Hawaii, makes Alabama so much more difficult to defend because he can actually throw the football. And Alabama's got really good receiving talent. And we saw last year, ultimately, what, what Clemson relied on was that Jalen Hurts couldn't convert third downs. He didn't do it against Washington in the playoff, and he didn't do it against, uh, against Clemson in the title game when Alabama had chances to put him away. And I just I, I don't believe in Jalen Hurts in big game situations against teams that are as talented as he is. And I think Georgia's almost as talented as Alabama. I think they're a little bit better at the quarterback position. I think that's going to be the difference. That's why I'm picking the Georgia Bulldogs to uh, win this game. Let's take a couple of your calls. Let's go to uh, Michael in Oregon. What's up, Michael? Hello. Um, I was wanting to ask you about how you were talking about having eight T 
teams in the playoffs. Yeah. And I was just wondering if having eight teams, if you say that would water it down too, a little bit too much, that did the uncertain. Yeah, I, I understand that. Thanks for the call. I, I understand that argument. I think it's a bad one. Look, in the NFL, we have 32 teams, and we have 12 teams that make the playoffs. And I don't think there's anybody I've ever heard say, oh, the NFL season is watered down by 12 teams making the playoffs. In college football, we have right around 65 Big Five conference teams, and we have roughly 60 non-Big Five conference teams. That means you got 125 teams competing for a championship. 60 of those teams right now, every non-major Big Five team, has no chance to win the national championship. And of those 65 teams, only four of them are going to make the playoffs. So the NFL has the smallest playoff of any pro sports league. 32 teams, 12 make the playoff. And I don't hear a single person say, oh, it's wild card weekend coming up. The NFL has devalued their entire season. Major League Baseball, huge, much higher percentage of teams that make the playoff. I don't know anybody who said, oh, that wild card expansion has killed Major League Baseball playoffs. Your traditionalist argued it hasn't been true. NFL, I mean, the NBA and the NHL, over half of the leagues make the playoffs. The NBA plays 82 games to eliminate 14 teams. 30 NBA teams, 16 of them make the playoffs. Now, I do hear some people say that the NBA playoffs are watered down, but eight, be fine. My point is here, you got a huge number of teams playing. Eight playoff teams is still difficult enough to make the make the playoff that it would matter. And I think, again, under my plan, you take all five conference champs, SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12. So all five conference champions are in, which means that those individual conference seasons matter immensely to every fan of those conferences because you know your team that wins the championship is going to be in. And then you've got two wild cards, and then you've got one non uh big five team, small school, that gets in. So a Central Florida gets into the playoff. And then if they pull off the upset over a school like Auburn, then they got a chance to win a championship as opposed to going 13-0 and and kind of being an afterthought in the wake of the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. So, no, I don't think eight would mess things up at all. My guy, Walkin' Willie, he is down in good old New Orleans, were you out on Bourbon Street for New or- uh, New Year's Eve, uh, Walking Willie? I was really cool. <clears throat> so you're a Bama guy. Were you impressed by what you saw? You're a Bama guy. Were you impressed by what you saw? Can Willie hear me? Hold on. Put Willie on hold for a sec. What do we got going on down in New Orleans? Are our phones working down in New Orleans? Jason Martin, any any suggestions about what's transpiring here so far with our inability to communicate? I, I don't know because the first guy came through completely No fine. issues. So something probably going on on Willie's end, I would have to imagine. All right, let's, let's, pull, we, let's go ahead and bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia, and then we'll go back and see if we can touch base with Willie. 877-996-6369. What's shaking my man, Eddie Garcia? All right, Clay. Well, the college football playoff semifinals, we had a slugfest and a shootout in the Sugar Bowl. Alabama behind its defense beats Clemson 24-6. The Bama D outscored 
the Clemson offense seven to six in this one. Jalen Hurts did have a couple of touchdown passes. One went to defensive lineman Deron Payne, who scored on a goal line play at the Rose Bowl. Georgia. Beats Oklahoma 54-48 in double overtime. Sony Michelle, one of the big stars for Georgia with three touchdowns, including the 27-yard game winner in double overtime. OU quarterback and Heisman winner Baker Mayfield in the loss had two touchdown passes and a touchdown catch. So it'll be Alabama versus Georgia in the national championship game next Monday. Other college football bowl action. Central Florida finishes off a 13-0 season with a 34-27 win over Auburn in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. Notre Dame gets by LSU in the Citrus Bowl 21-17 on a great catch and run late by wide receiver Miles Boykin. South Carolina rallied down 16 points to beat Michigan 26-19 in the Outback Bowl. And as far as NFL coaching news goes, looks like we've got six coaching vacancies and we had three coaches fired on Monday. One coach announced his retirement. Jim Caldwell, the Lions, John Fox, the Bears, Chuck Pagano, the Colts, all let go while Bruce Arians called it a career. This report brought to you by True Car with True Car. You can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Back to you, Clay. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Um, <laughs> does Willie want to, what's what's the update on Willie, Jason Martin? Um, I talked to him and he started talking about mattresses. And uh, I cut him off there and asked him what was going on. And he said he heard you. So I'm not sure. So let's go to him again and see what happens. Willie, are you still drunk from New Year's uh, Eve celebrations? Oh, yes, I'm still here. Yeah. I'm here. All right. Can you hear me okay? I I, I think we've got to hang up on Willie. I, I, Something's going I, on. I don't know I, what I it don't is. know. Uh, Willie is usually a star attraction, and, 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 and usually I don't give people multiple opportunities to talk with us, but you guys know Willie down in New Orleans, big Alabama fan, and uh, he calls into the show regularly. And I, I don't know. It appears that Nick Saban, maybe Nick Saban does not want him to share some sort of uh, secret information he got surrounding the games. Uh, I, I don't know what's happening, but somehow our phone lines are crossed or tapped, and uh, he doesn't seem to be able to uh, to respond to my calls. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Could be uh, you know we had that we just found out the Pentagon had the crew that's out there looking at the UFOs. Maybe maybe they got into our phone systems. Maybe they got into our phone systems. They're trying to stop us from actually being able to have a legitimate conversation. I'm going to bring in the guys out in L.A. Uh, do you find yourselves actively rooting against either Nick Saban or the SEC because you're tired of them? One of the things that I think is interesting about sports is typically winning produces a lot of hate. I don't get the sense that Nick Saban in Alabama – is particularly hated. I get the sense maybe that there's people who hate the SEC, but there are a lot of people out there who hate the New England Patriots. Nick Saban has been more dominant in the college football than Bill Belichick has been in the NFL in the last decade, right? I mean, look, the Patriots have been very good, but in terms of championships and playing for championships, Nick Saban has been better in the last decade with Alabama than Bill Belichick has been in the NFL. The Patriots are really hated. How much do you guys hate Alabama? Uh, <laughs> I hate them like a f- the opposite of a fat kid loving cake. I mean, so you legitimately despise yes, them? Yes, I mean, I, I won't say I despise them. It's just like I'm compared tired to the Patriots, them. I'm tired you, of them. Yeah, but compared to the Patriots, how would you say that that you feel in relation to like I feel as if the Patriots are infinitely more detestable than the Alabama Crimson Tide and Alabama is much more successful than the Patriots have been. Well, uh, it's my belief, and I'll let Danny get in here after me, uh, that 
the Patriots are hated because a lot of people think that they don't do things on the up and up. They feel like there's a lot of you know calls that go their way. They kind of bend the rules a lot more than on some of these other teams. With, they're cheaters. Yes, is one of the biggest cheaters. criticisms of the Patriots. In exactly. General. And with Alabama, I feel like, at least in my opinion, one of the reasons why I don't like them and I'm tired of them is not only are they good, but they don't seem like they're fun to watch. You don't get excited that's, to watch Alabama football. That's exactly what I was going to add, Clay, is that Nick Saban never seems like he's enjoying himself. I tweeted this uh, last night. There were three and a half minutes left 24 to 6 on the scoreboard and Saban was freaking out his veins popping out of his neck he was all in his uh, OC's Kool-Aid he was yelling at players on the bench he was like a madman on the sideline and a lot of the responses from SEC country on my Twitter said well that's you don't understand that's what makes him great that's that's uh you know that's what sets him apart I I wouldn't want a coach like that. I'm sorry. I mean, I I, I understand attention wait, 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 to wait. De- you wouldn't want a well, coach I, like that. Well, I, I'm saying okay. Let me. You back might up. not want to play for a guy that's, like that. That's what I mean. Or I, you might I, not want to coach for well, him. He, like he even looked uncomfortable when they were giving the awards out and the confetti was dropping. He looked like he was kind of mad. Like he did not want that part of it. Oh, no, that's totally true. I, I remember Dan Wetzel wrote a great speech. Like. Nick Saban never looks happy. He's always yeah. on to the next thing. And I think the time – I'm not even kidding about this. I think the time that Nick Saban had to spend standing on the on the field <laughs> while the confetti's raining down and they're like, hey, congratulations, you guys won this game, is time to him that he's not able to prepare for Georgia. And I guarantee you in the back of his mind, he knows Kirby Smart and he's thinking Kirby Smart is already working on his game plan and he's several hours ahead of us. I guarantee you that's the way he's thinking because I've used this example before. When Nick Saban got hired at Alabama, he got on to the uh, the boosters, right? SEC football, college football in general, a lot of being a head coach is your relationship with the big prominent boosters that support your program. Nick Saban gets on a plane with the big prominent boosters that support Alabama, private jet, going to an event. And these guys are used to the whiskey bottles getting brought out. Everybody's clinking glasses. They're in the high level, like right high, high level boosters. You're on a private jet. You get to hang out with the coach. He's telling you all sorts of behind-the-scenes stories. He's winning you over. Uh, he's he's basically it, – it's a lot like politics, right? He's, he's greasing the wheels so that you continue to support the program. Al, that's what Alabama big boosters were used to. Nick Saban gets on the plane, says hi barely, sits down in his seat, pulls out his laptop, and starts breaking down game film on the flight. Doesn't even speak to the guys on the plane en route to – I think it was a charity event. And they're like, who is this guy? And that's how Nick Saban is. And he wins at such a level that he doesn't have to do a lot of the glad handling that other guys do. He's not interested in it. He's interested in winning football. And so everything about Nick Saban is about stripping out uncertainty from football. And so I can see watching it, why it at times seems to be a joyless system. It's a uh, process-oriented, finite detail Focus on every single little tiny detail until you've eliminated as much uncertainty as you can and what's left is greatness. And that's what Alabama is. And it's an amazing kind of distillation of coaching excellence that Nick Saban has accomplished. Again, the stat that I'm hitting people with this morning that I haven't seen anybody else talk about is that Nick Saban is 15-3 and in national title games where he's 5-1 and 
in playoffs in the college football now, where he's three and one, and SEC title games where he's seven and one. In those eighteen biggest games of his coaching career, he's fifteen and three. We've never seen anything like it, and I think that's the that's the draining at times all the joy out of football feel. Uh, is Willie still there? Do we want to try him again, Jason Martin? You think you've resolved let's give him our one communication more. Let's give him one. Let's give him one more try. All right, Willie, fire away. All right, I'm here. I'm in. I'm on this message pretty good. <laughs> All right. So, how impressed were you by Alabama, Willie? Well, it was cold down, and it's still cold. But Mr. Bryant, he is a good coach, and he know he know how to motivate you. And all them kids, they get good education. Now, they don't come out dumb. But all they got to know, I'll be in Atlanta. If I see you, I see you. I'll say hello and keep on stepping. <laughs> so is this uh, for Alabama? You're talking about Nick Saban and how he did. Is this like – is was this a joyful experience for an Alabama fan or did you just feel like it was just a – I felt like Clemson just showed up and took a beating. Well, that's what they did because Clemson, they were still sad for losing up in Syracuse, you know. And uh, they got a little bit of school called Wapping, and they was more better than them, you know. But like I say, I just enjoyed the game, and, and it was nice and cool. Uh, all right, we got uh, Willie. Happy New Year, by the way. What would you do for New Year's Eve, Willie? Hey, I had to- Cullen beef and cabbage. And I know you up there now in Michigan. I was up in St. Sue Marie, and it's still cold up there. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, thanks for the call. Yeah, look, I, I have never been colder in my life than what was going on in Michigan. It was minus 10 at one point in Michigan while I was up there. I don't know how people live. I, I don't know how these Big Ten schools like Ohio State and Michigan – ever convince Southern kids to come to their campuses. Like I I guess maybe because the kids are visiting in the fall or in the summer and they don't know what it's actually like in the winter. It was a different caliber of cold, like bone chilling, unbelievable cold last week with me up in Michigan. Um, I want to play you some audio when you come back. We had an unbelievable New Year's Eve. Uh, I was sitting around in my house like the baller that I am solo here in the Outkick Mansion because my family was still up in Michigan and they still are up in Michigan. I came back to do the New Year's Day show. And so I'm sitting around and if you remember, uh, the CNN got upset at me because I said I love the First Amendment and boobs on this uh, this girl, Brooke Baldwin's television show on CNN. And so I saw that CNN was on the road uh, in New Orleans, where there's obviously a ton of OutKick fans down there, Alabama and Clemson fans, as well as just a lot of people in New Orleans who listen to the show. And I decided after Brooke Baldwin said that she had bigger balls than Don Lemon, which was somehow acceptable, even though me saying I like boobs wasn't, we need to get our revenge on CNN. And so if you didn't hear this or you didn't watch it, on New Year's Eve, Outkick got its revenge on CNN for banning me for saying I like the First Amendment and boobs. And if you haven't heard this, I guarantee you, you're going to be like, holy hell, Clay Travis wins again. CNN got dunked on so bad that Brooke Baldwin is still in concussion protocol. I'm going to play you that audio when we come back. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick, the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. 
What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago as well. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? TaxSlayer was recently rated number one for maximum refund, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want. This tax season, go out and slay it. Max your refund at TaxSlayer.com. Speaking of maxing your refund this was maybe the best expense that i've ever had so if you were out and about on new year's eve you may or may not have seen this but brooke baldwin the woman who banned me for saying that i uh, love the first amendment and, and boobs on her radio show back in september was out in new orleans with don lemon from cnn and They were talking about how uh, her balls were bigger than his. And I don't know if you watch CNN New Year's Eve, but they had like a pot party. They had uh, all these people uh, that were smoking from bongs, uh, gas masks, and they weren't even like Larry Tunsil from Ole Miss. Uh, it uh, It was a total messy situation. And I don't know what just happened there, but it sounds oh that was the bong <laughs> that was yeah, that scary that was the gas bong yeah sorry I mean I wasn't anticipating that we were suddenly going to have a gas bong sound in the background there um, I thought that I was being attacked from a helicopter um, and so uh, it was it was really kind of strange uh, television and by the way I didn't go out New Year's Eve because we had the radio show to do at six a.m. on uh, yesterday morning. So uh, I'm just sitting around, and my phone blows up because people are like, oh, this is so hypocritical. This is such a double standard. And then light bulb goes off in my head, and I say, wait a minute. Those, those guys are out in New Orleans right now, Don Lemon and Brooke Baldwin, and there are tons of outkick people out in New Orleans right now who are down there for the Clemson-Alabama game. And also, we just have a big audience in New Orleans in general, probably a lot of people out on Bourbon Street. Uh, a lot of you hung over right now from from these games listening to OutKick either on podcast or on one of our nearly 300 AM FM stations right now, or satellite radio, by the way. I go on Twitter, and I say, I will give somebody 10 grand. 10 grand if you can get on live on CNN and say to Brooke Baldwin's face that you love boobs. And then I went a step further and said, I will give you 20 grand if you can get on CNN and you are a girl and you are able to say to Brooke Baldwin's face, I love boobs, and it goes out everywhere, okay? That's the prelude to this. So CNN live during their New Year's Eve celebration, Brooke Baldwin, Don Lemon are out. Here is what ended up happening live on television. Don't F without kick. Because ultimately, we win. Props here. Listen. We're uh, heating, obviously. We, let's, uh, let's, let's check in with Don and Brooke to see how things are going. How, whoa, whoa. What's, uh, going on what's up, guys? Hi, guys. <laughs> I'm the Spotted Cat. You like our masks? We, uh, we went to I makeup. And, and they did this to us. we grew feathers. So there's that. What do you think? Do you like? Do you, do you guys I like, like this? I like it. Um, I like so the look. It's a good look. We're here on Frenchman Street Absolutely. at the spot. <laughs> do you like the look? Very good. As long as Andy likes it, I, I'm, I'm good. Okay, so we have a special little something. We have something really special. Really so special. So Andy and Anderson have to give us a little time. We won't cut into your New Year's Eve time. Trust us. Uh, but we want to introduce you. Hey, come Dustin. here to this guy. What's your name? My name's Dustin. Dustin, we understand you have something special. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, well, come on. Hey, come here. And your girlfriend in the red. Beautiful. Hi. Where, where are do you it. from? Atlanta. Yeah, Let's I'm do an it. Atlanta girl. Let's do it. 
Marissa, I love you. somewhere else so she, she, said said yes. Yes. she said yes she said yes we love that, oh. we love that. so I guess that is outkick dunking on cnn live new year's coverage the couple that pulled that off is already married proving that cnn is totally out to lunch they then tried to treat this as a legitimate marriage proposal all it was was OutKick getting its revenge on CNN for banning me for having the gall to say that I loved the First Amendment and boobs. Did any of you – well, I don't know what you guys did on New Year's. Did Were any of you watching CNN at the time? Like, I'll just go around the horn. I was. I didn't do anything. I, I, was, I was in disbelief. Like, that is such an incredible pull-off situation there because I, again, tossed it out on Twitter for somebody to be able to do it. And that couple came up with the idea of faking a marriage proposal, even though they're already married, so that the girl there, and we're going to try to talk to this couple to figure out how they pulled off the trolling, epic trolling of CNN there live on the air, and CNN still treating it as a legitimate marriage proposal. Jason Martin, where does that rank on all-time outkick pranks? It's pretty high. I mean, that's 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 pretty amazing that we just hijacked CNN's New Year's Eve celebration and just dunked all over them. Yeah, I mean, that was, that's really, really funny and really well executed so by well them. Done. Uh, in answer to your question, by the way, why on earth would I be watching CNN's New Year's coverage? What were you like, doing? I, I wasn't doing anything. I mean, so, I but wasn't I mean, doing legitimately, anything what, You didn't go out. What no, were I didn't. you doing on New Year's Eve? I was I mean, I was just at home enjoying a quiet evening. I knew that you know, Enjoy, we were going to be like, watching what, a lot you of... Weren't, you weren't watching any celebration of New Year's Eve? Like, I'm just saying, no, like, what were you doing I was as actually it got reading. closer to the- I was actually reading. What were you reading? I was just reading. I was reading the Bible, as a matter of fact. I was finishing the year reading the Bible. That's actually really? exactly what I was doing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Same thing I did well, on Christmas Eve, the did last you guys, few hours of it. Did you guys go out in L.A.? Uh, I did. I went to a steakhouse, and then we had some people over for drinks. That's what I did. Okay, but nothing, like, wild. What no, about no, no. you? No. It, uh, did anybody so where did you guys think in LA that ranks that's a pretty unbelievable pull that these this couple made yeah I mean I, I guess if you say I'll give you $20,000 you can get people to do almost anything so that's great I think they would have done it for less you think but so th- you still have Probably. to be able to get on air like it's not easy to get live on television and dunk on a, a newscast like they did I mean that's pretty impressive final hour of the show up next on OutKick Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. As well, it is the new year. Thank you for coming and hanging with us on Outkick the Coverage. A lot of you probably waking up with bleary eyes late night of college football, followed by what could have been a late night New Year's Eve celebration by many of you. We played the clip of the outkick couple dunking on CNN and Brooke Baldwin and Don Lemon, and we will have them on in the next segment to tell the story of how they pulled off an epic New Year's prank and what exactly the story was behind that. But it's an all-SEC title game, and you guys know that I hate to brag, 
hate to draw attention to myself, not the kind of guy to come out and say, I told you so, but I told you so. I told you that Alabama was going to suffocate Clemson, and I told you that I thought Georgia would get past Oklahoma. And so we've got the most difficult ticket in the history of the national title game, over $2,000 right now, the minimum get-in price for Georgia, Alabama, and Atlanta. Now, OutKick will be live in Atlanta on Monday and Tuesday surrounding the college football national title game. I'm not sure if we're going to be in a public venue. The last time we were in Tampa last year, and I was like, oh, we'll meet up with listeners. It'll be awesome. And then there were like four security guards you had to go through before you could get to our radio show. So I'm not sure what the venue will look like, but hopefully we'll be able to have some sort of uh, some sort of situation. I don't know why. I don't know why they don't let us have a public setup for Radio Row at the title game like they do for the Super Bowl uh, and why you guys shouldn't be able to come by if you're in Atlanta and you're going to be up early the show will be on 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern on Monday and Tuesday of next week, just like it is every weekday. I don't know why you shouldn't be able to come walk by and say hi and, and see us doing the show. Now, whether or not that's going to be possible or not, not my decision, but uh, we'll at least be in Atlanta. But breaking down these games, several things stood out to me, and I want to start again like I started the show two hours ago. I don't think anybody else is going to say this, but props to the college football playoff committee. You got it right. You got it right. Alabama was definitely one of the four best teams in college football. There is nobody else in college football that could have beaten the number one team in America, Clemson, like Alabama did last night. It was as if Clemson was a high school team. They did nothing on offense all night with the exception of one drive. Midway through the second quarter, they drove down and got a field goal. Otherwise, Alabama completely stifled them. The other score for Clemson came when Alabama mishandled the snap to start the second half and set up Clemson in great field position. They kicked a field goal. I think Clemson bombed through two decent-length field goals. It wasn't even like they were chip-shot field goals. This was utter destruction. It reminded me of the 2011 win by Alabama over LSU. There was just no space at all for Clemson to do anything on the offensive side of the ball, and the college football playoff committee got it right. Those 13 guys in that committee room picked Alabama as one of the four best college football teams, and they were right. Now, I understand if you're Auburn, in the wake of Georgia beating Oklahoma, and we're going to get to one of the best college football games of all time here momentarily. If you're Auburn, you're sitting around after that loss to Central Florida saying, what do we do wrong? Our two biggest rivals are Alabama and Georgia, and we beat them both in Jordan-Hare Stadium in the regular season. And we beat them both by double digits, and somehow we're sitting around at 10-4, and four, and our two biggest rivals are now playing for the national championship in Atlanta, which is the biggest city for Auburn grads in the entire country. This is like... Not only do your hated relatives end up moving into your same neighborhood, but they just bought all the best property and they kicked you out and you can't even go back to your old home now. This is unbelievable for an Auburn fan. Apologies to you guys. Condolences, I should say. And by the way, 
What about an epic Rose Bowl game between Georgia and Oklahoma? Now, yesterday on this show, and leading into the college football playoff, I told you exactly what I expected to happen in the game. There was Alabama and Clemson was exactly what I anticipated happening. Uh, I said that Alabama was going to cover by double digits. Uh, I said that we win by double digits, cover with ease. It's the line uh, was like two and a half or three or whatever else. Uh, easy win, cover for Alabama. I also said the under was going to hit easily. Now, I predicted a 24 to 14 Alabama win. Apologies to everybody out there. Alabama won 24 to six. I gave Clemson too much credit on the offensive side of the ball. Okay, so that game was almost exactly what I anticipated seeing. The Georgia-Oklahoma game was quite a bit different because I didn't think the first half was going to play out like it did. The second half of Georgia-Oklahoma and the overtime was almost exactly what I anticipated seeing. And the transition that Georgia made from down 31-14 to to finding a way to win that game 52-14 to 48 or whatever the heck it was, I think that's right, was simply... It is not. What's this, 52-46, whatever the score 54, was. 54-48. Yeah, whatever the score was. I don't, I'm not, I'm not one of these guys who sits around and like, oh, I'm worried about... Like, you know who won, all right? And there was a lot of points scored. And so what I thought would happen in the second half and overtime is exactly what happened. That is, Georgia's defense stifled Oklahoma's offense. What surprises me most about that game, in addition to how amazing it was, was that Georgia was able to come back after they were out of sorts in that first half. They gave up touchdowns on the first three drives to Oklahoma. They gave up a field goal on the next drive. And then they gave up that touchdown on what should have been basically the final play of the first half. Now, the squib kick was mis-executed. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, Georgia did a great job to bang through a 55-yard field goal. That changed the momentum a little bit. But when Georgia went down 31-14, to 14, in my Twitter mentions, and you can find me at Clay Travis, it was an absolute, absolute bedlam of insults raining down upon the SEC and how much the SEC sucked and how much the SEC was overrated. And then Georgia got their stuff together and put together one of the most impressive second halves that we have ever seen. It's the biggest comeback in the history of the BCS era. I think the previous biggest comeback, sorry Auburn fans again, was Florida State coming back. I believe it was 21-10 to 10 at the half in the, in the year that Florida State came back. And I think Florida State was down 21-3 to 3 to Auburn the year that Florida State and Jameis Winston won the national championship. So if you go back and look at that transition. In the second half, Georgia proved, I think, what we, what I expected to see anyway beforehand, which was their defense is elite. And so they held Oklahoma to just 10 points in the second half and ten, uh, offensively. And those points, that was second half plus two overtimes. Now, I think the biggest criticism, if you want to go after anything in particular in that game, I think it was Lincoln Riley taking the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands. Oklahoma talked a big game about how unstoppable their offense was and how much swag they had and how confident they were and how they weren't going to play scared. And then what happened? 
Late in that game, Oklahoma is up seven points. I believe it was a third and three. And you've got the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback in your backfield. And what do you do? You run an option pitch with Baker Mayfield to the running back and you get stopped. That was a really bad play call. Poorly executed. To me, if you've got the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, you drop him back, you let him survey the field, and you trust him to make a play. You get a first down there, Georgia may not even be able to get the football back. If you get another first down after that, you ride off into the sunset and you're headed to Atlanta. That's point one on my issues with Lincoln Riley. Point two, it's overtime. You've held Georgia to a field goal. You come out on the field, and what do you do? You run the ball three times. The third time, it's third and two or three or whatever the heck it was, and you don't let Baker Mayfield ever make a play to win you that football game. I thought that was inexcusable. So to me, Lincoln Riley, as good and young and successful as he is, he puckered up in clutch time situations there. You've got the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback on your side and you didn't give him an opportunity to win. It's one thing to lose. I think everybody loses, and I feel bad for Oklahoma fans to lose that game. But it's another thing to lose and feel like you didn't go balls to the wall with your best chance to win. And I thought when the crucible moment arrived that Lincoln Riley did not grasp for excellence. I thought he tried to slink his way into the title game, and I thought as a result... Baker Mayfield got you there. You got to trust him to keep taking you other places. And he didn't. And so, to me, the biggest takeaway from the Rose Bowl in general was, one, it's the second best college football game I've ever seen. Okay, Best college football game I've ever seen was also in the Rose Bowl. It was USC against Texas. This was the second best game that I have ever seen. Just simply an unbelievably entertaining game. But... If I'm an Oklahoma fan, I am sitting back saying, we had Baker Mayfield there late in that game. He had a chance to win the game for us, and we didn't let him do it. Now, I'm sure Lincoln Riley, if he were talking with us, would say, you know what I was afraid of? I was afraid that our offensive line couldn't block Georgia's defensive front, that Baker Mayfield was getting beaten up. I didn't want him to get hit. I didn't want to turn the ball over there. I wanted to make Georgia have to drive the length of the field and beat us. I understand all of those things. I understand his argument that, look, I didn't want to throw an interception. Sometimes Baker is such a gunslinger that I was afraid in that situation he would try to go for the win, and I was trying to protect him and play it safe. You can't play for field goals in overtime in college football. You can't. That's how you lose. And to me, when Oklahoma took the field at a minimum in overtime, having held Georgia to a field goal, you got to go for the win there. And I thought they didn't let Baker Mayfield be Baker Mayfield, and that ultimately would be what bothered me the most if I were an Oklahoma fan. Giving up the 17-point lead, all of those things, with three minutes or so left, we've got a third and three, and the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback in the backfield. How do we not let him throw it? How do we not let him throw for the first down there, whether he completes it or not? And then later, in the first overtime period, how do you not let Baker Mayfield try to get something done in a way that can win that game for my team? Those would be my biggest takeaways. Uh, You guys agree or disagree with me, Jason Martin? 
I don't disagree with you. If you look back to those three play calls on the three-play seven-yard drive with a minute 54 left when Oklahoma was up seven, they went Rodney Anderson, who had over 200 yards on the ground. He had five yards. Then Mayfield ran for two. I'm not sure that that was what was planned, but that was what was available to him at the time. So he ran for two and took it to the 30-yard line, and then they handed it to Anderson, and that was that option play. And the problem with the option play, and as it happened, the people I was watching the game with, I was just like, that was the easiest option to cover in the history of the world because it was on the weak side of the field, and basically Anderson and Mayfield were standing next to one another. Like they yeah, could have yeah, been it's hard touching to run an option. Another. Hard to run an option to the short side of the field, but that's my point. You got Baker Mayfield. Why are you turning it into an well, option quarterback? Why did I? I mean, why did I pick Oklahoma when we did this? And yes, I admit I picked Oklahoma to win the game in a very close fight. But why did I say that? I said because Baker Mayfield with the ball in his hands is what terrifies me most out of all four of these teams because he's a guy that can make plays out of the dirt, he can escape problems, and he can find things down the field. He's a playmaker in this game. He's your playmaker. When you took the ball out of his hands, I wouldn't have predicted that. Like I would have easily said George is going to win the game if you don't let Baker Mayfield do it because Mayfield's what brought you to the dance. And, yes, taking the ball out of his hands, like, he, yes, he was running the option play, but why do you have Baker Mayfield in running the option play? When I say take the ball out of his hands, I mean he's throwing the football. Like, that no, was crazy. And then the overtime, the first period overtime, how do you not have a pass play attempt uh, in the first – when you've held Georgia to a field goal – I mean, I don't want to settle for, I think they kicked a 33-yard field goal to put it into second overtime. I think also, if you have any real balls there and you're Lincoln Riley, you go for it on fourth and one instead of settling for a 33-yard field goal to get another chance to go into overtime. I mean, I know Georgia might have stopped you. I mean, Mayfield threw on second and six, and he was complete to Marquise Brown for four yards, and then they ran the ball on third down and two. And they had, well, I mean, Anderson had run for four, but they didn't even have Anderson run the ball on third down. They didn't hand it to the guy that had over 200 yards. They handed it to Jordan Smallwood, who got them one yard. And then on fourth and one, I agree. In that situation, especially with just as shaky as things were. And look, the other thing we haven't really talked about about this game, Oklahoma special teams was bad. They were flat out bad in terms of what they gave up in terms of field position in the second half. I think average starting field position for Oklahoma was the 17-yard line, and I think for Georgia it was somewhere around the 45. That really does help things. That helps you to flip the field over and over, but Oklahoma's special teams in that football game was flat-out terrible. Yeah, they were not good. I just think you give Baker Mayfield... I know he got 55 seconds left after Georgia scored. A lot of people said, oh, they left him too much time. All of those uh, scenarios. But you ran... Let me see here. I'm looking at the overtime play chart. They ran, uh, you know, not counting the field goals, they ran like, what, seven or eight plays, and they, they tried to pass it twice. I mean, to me, it was really a take-the-ball-out-of-Baker-Mayfield's-hands scenario, and particular, that final drive. I mean, that, in the regulation, when you're up seven and you have what should be an opportunity to try to ice the game, uh, you go with uh, three plays. Um, on first and 10, you run it. On second and 10, Baker Mayfield runs it. Second and five, Baker Mayfield runs it. And then you run that ridiculous option play with a third and three call to the short side of the field. I just, I, I would love to hear what Lincoln Riley was thinking with those play calls. Um, do we still have the guy who wants to criticize me on the air uh, right there? Uh, we do no. not. We're going to go to the crew that pulled off the epic troll job of CNN. If you haven't heard from them yet, they're going to join us. They were down. On uh, Bourbon Street, they uh, saw my tweets about going after Brooke Baldwin, who has banned me from CNN because I had the the gall to say 
that I was a big fan of the First Amendment and boobs live on the air. That was unacceptable, she said. So we will talk to that couple who pulled off an epic troll job of CNN. Up next here on OutKick, this is Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Well, on New Year's Eve, down on Bourbon Street, there was a lot of people out having a good time surrounding the Clemson and Alabama football game. CNN's having their Happy New Year's uh, celebration with Brooke Baldwin, who banned me from CNN a couple of months ago because I said that I liked the First Amendment and boobs. And she said, oh, my God, that's offensive. How dare you tell a woman that you like boobs? Well, I decided we should get some revenge. And then this went down live on CNN. Outkick, baby, you can hear screamed there at the end as well. The couple that pulled that off, that stellar performance, Dustin Smith and his wife, I believe they are with us right now. Am I correct? Yes, sir. Hi. Hi. How are you all both? First of all, um, tell everybody your names. And uh, are you, uh, you you were at the game, I'm assuming, the Alabama-Clemson game last night? Uh, we actually were not. No. we. Uh, uh, my name is Dustin Smith. Marissa Smith. Um, but we actually booked the uh, the trip down to New Orleans when we thought Georgia was going to appear in the Sugar Bowl. Okay, uh, so you guys are Georgia fans. Yes, sir. We are Georgia fans. So, uh, first of all, congratulations on surviving the game against Oklahoma. Where did Were you still in New Orleans? So did you watch the game in New Orleans, or did you go home? No, no. We got up early, on, uh, or we got up early yesterday morning and head, headed straight back to Georgia uh, to watch it at the house. So I, I said, I tweeted during the game, like, I mean, is that the most difficult game as a Georgia fan you guys have ever watched? Oh, by far. Yeah, far and away. Um, it, the only thing I could compare it to would be that uh, that Alabama SEC championship, uh, yes. you know, where we, we came within about five yards uh, you know, a couple years ago. Um, but no, this was way worse. <laughs> All right. So uh, where? So take me through the process by which you managed to pull off an epic prank. Uh, thank you so much on behalf of Outkick to get our revenge on Brooke Baldwin there. Uh, when did you, like, I put out the tweet, like, take me through your night. You're out where? How did this whole thing go down? You guys tell me. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, funny enough, um, we were actually on our way to Bourbon Street. We were in an Uber. Uh, and a friend of mine actually sent me a screenshot of the tweet. Um, I don't even think I responded back to him. I just went straight to your Twitter for a little more clarification on it. Uh, and I saw that it was at the spotted cat. And so we told our Uber driver we actually, you know, changed our trip mid-trip. Uh, and, and probably were out there, I think, within about 10 minutes of seeing that tweet. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, it was just you know, boom, boom, boom. And uh, we got out there pretty quickly. So how did you make the decision? Because the, t- the challenge, I thought, would be you have to outsmart CNN, which, let's be honest, may not actually require that much intelligence. But whose idea was it that, you know what, if we tell them we're going to do a – because you guys are already married. Uh, you've yeah. been married, I think, for two years. Congrats on that. But if uh, whose idea was it, you know what, they'll definitely let us on if we do a fake marriage proposal. Like, how did that idea come about? Oh, well, we were actually still in the Uber, and I looked over at my wife, who was all in, 
the whole time, by the way. Um, and I said, hey, give me your ring. Uh, and she said, what? And I said, yeah, just give me your ring. I think that's probably going to be our best shot to get on air. Um, that's genius. Know, yeah. Well, I know some places are, you know, kind of, uh, they don't they don't like the show proposals sometimes because they don't know how they're going to go. Right. Um, but I thought that I'd be able to, you know, maybe sway Brooke in that way. So uh, who did you... Who did you approach to say, oh, I'm going to propose to my, uh, like, how, how does that go down? Like, they're in the bar, CNN is in this Spotted Cat bar uh, out in New Orleans, I think on Frenchman Street, and yeah. so you walk up, who do you talk to? Well, actually, what happened was we walked up to the bar, and we didn't know this at the time, but it was actually a private party, uh, but we found out that you could get in uh, for $50 a person, okay. and so at first I'm sitting there and I say, well, you know, do I do I actually want to drop you know a hundred dollars just to walk in here and and probably not get on TV? And so we're sitting uh, standing outside. My wife is saying, do it, do it, do it. And I, I just needed a little more convincing. Well, Don Lemon actually came walking by right out front, and he's you know, the crowd is saying, hey Don, hey Don, hey Don. He looks over and starts talking to people, and I could tell he was uh, he had uh, started drinking a little earlier. So. Yes. That's when I thought, okay, I can get on air. Uh, so I instantly pulled that 100 out, and we, uh, we went in. And so who do you uh, approach to talk to? Well, so Lemon walked actually around the bar. They were sitting on the bar there. And I don't know how it was this easy. It shouldn't have been this easy. But I walked straight up to Don Lemon and Brooke Baldwin, uh, and, I, and I said, Don, Don, Don. He turned around with kind of a puzzled look, and, I said, and he said, do I know you? <laughs> and, and that's when I could really tell he'd been drinking. Uh, and I said, no, no, but, you know, I, I want to propose to my girlfriend tonight. I was going to do it at midnight, but I'd, I'd love to do it now if I could get it on air. And, you know, they were kind of, you know, 50-50 on it until I pulled out the ring. And that's when Brooke kind of let out kind of a gasp. And uh, I, I heard Don turn around and kind of speaking to his mic, hey, we've got a proposal. You know, can we do it? Uh, so it just kind of worked out perfectly. And so uh, your wife, and tell us your name again. Marissa. All right, so Marissa, were you guys sober? Like, were you guys to- – this is a genius plan. So, I mean, in the space of about 15 minutes, you- I'm sure you had some drinks, but uh, was like, there any what? doubt in your mind to go for it? Say it again? Was there any doubt in your mind at all we're oh. going to go for this? Oh, my God, no. I was ready to do it as soon as we saw it. <laughs> and I knew we would get on air. Dustin's great at doing things like that. I knew it was going to work out. <laughs> so, and then you deliver, like, I mean, it's not easy to get the mic. Like, Don Lemon was trying to pull the mic back. You went strong play there, <laughs> double hand on the mic to get everything out. Was that a plan, too? And you also spelled out boobs, B-O-O-B-S, just like Brooke Baldwin. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you all. For people out there, uh, like, I was watching this. And when I saw, like, they said, oh, we got some people we're going to talk to. And I kind of think, like, what is my wheelhouse outkick audience? It's people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, a lot of couples who are SEC grads. Like, we have a huge penetration there. So as soon as I heard you say that you were from Atlanta, I was like, this could be an unbelievable (laughs) play here. Because I was like, Atlanta obviously is a huge market for this show and for, for OutKick in general. But that was so, so flawlessly delivered. I mean, I can't tell you, my phone blew up, the mentions blew up. I mean, how quickly did you guys realize, oh my God, this was everywhere? Pretty much immediately. Like, we ran out of the bar as soon as we said it. Like, we did not want to be in there one second longer. And we're like standing out in the street screaming about it. And we all get all these texts from so many people who just watched us. It was pretty immediate, and then all the mentions on Twitter just went crazy the rest of the night. And so, 
what did you think? Like CNN treated this as a legitimate marriage proposal. I think it might still be up on their website. I mean, it's been all over the internet. Like, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, maybe outsmarting CNN is more and not as difficult as we think. But isn't it kind of crazy that they didn't even realize that they had been totally pranked here? Well, I think they clearly did realize it because if you watch the video, they cut off the end of it, um, and the producer. As soon as she said, you know, got B-double-O-B-S out of her mouth, the producer looked over at me like, come on, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> just the look of just disappointment. Um, but, yeah, it, it's amazing that, you know, CNN, with all the talk of fake news and all of this stuff, uh, is, is still putting stuff out there like this. I, I just couldn't believe it. So I, I said, and again, the thing I love about this is I said I'd give ten grand to a guy if he could do it, and I said I would double it for a girl. So would you guys have done it if I hadn't doubled it for a girl? Oh, we were headed there when we thought it was ten grand. Okay, yeah, because <laughs> that's the question my producers asked. What would have been the like? And I'm gonna, I got to check in the mail to you guys. You guys are going to get twenty grand. I think it was like I don't pay for advertising ever. This thing was worth so much more than what uh, in terms of the attention it's gotten. What would have been the bare minimum that you would have done it for? That's what my producers were asking. Like, what would have been the number that would have been out there, and you'd have been like, okay, like what's the tipping point there? I mean, you probably could have could have got me all in for a, a year of outkick premium, honestly. <laughs> A hundred bucks. Well, you know what? I mean, in all seriousness, this is uh, this is fantastic. Um, I, uh, I I can't tell you how many people you made the year for, um, and this is perfect revenge for Outkick on CNN. Um, did you guys watch the clip beforehand with the Brooke Baldwin interview? What did you think when uh, when they banned me for saying that I love the First Amendment and boobs? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I saw that you know months ago whenever it, whenever it actually happened and. Uh... When we were in the Uber on the way over, we, we watched it again, and I guess that's why the B-double-O-B-S was oh, so perfect. Mine. Uh, <laughs> but, no, I, I just couldn't believe it. Um, you know, uh, just the, the outrage, you know, as a woman, you know, from her. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, Marissa, and, then, and then I saw that she was saying balls, talking about her balls are, balls are bigger than Don Lemon's or something like that. Yes. You know? <laughs> but, uh, Marissa, like you're a woman and you like boobs. Were you offended when I said I like the First Amendment and boobs? Not at all. I understand it completely. <laughs> uh, seriously, I appreciate you all so much. Thanks for making the end of 2017 and the start of 2018 so spectacular. And I hope you guys spend that money in a good way. I can't wait to, uh, to hear uh, what you guys do with it. Oh, you know we will, Clay. <laughs> all right, good luck to Georgia in the title. Maybe go buy some tickets for the hey. Georgia. Do you have tickets for the title game? I, I don't. I don't. Um, I'm not really sure if I want to spend a, a quarter of that money to get in yet, <laughs> but yes. we're, we're thinking about it. Yeah, it's not a bad way to do it. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, that is Outkick All-Stars. And by the way, I have now got a challenge for everybody out there. If you can get the fact that you love boobs on CNN at any point in 2018, in any way that involves Outkick, I will pay you $1,000. I will, right now, I am at war with CNN in 2018. I want OutKick to deluge them with boob-related endorsements. If you can get on Brooke Baldwin's show, or as I call her, Boobs Baldwin, I will give you two grand. This is an OutKick challenge to everybody out there listening right now for all of 2018. Get the fact that you love boobs in association with OutKick on CNN I give you a grand. Get it on Brooke Baldwin's show. I give you two grand. 
outkick challenge from me to you. Hell of a way to start off the year. That was amazing. If you haven't seen that clip, go to outkick.com, and uh, you can see outkick dunking on CNN and Brooke Baldwin getting our revenge. Let me bring in Eddie Garcia. Find out what's shaking in the world of sports. Well, Clay, in the college football playoff semifinals in the Sugar Bowl, it was Alabama over Clemson, 24-6. Alabama's defense getting it done. Not only did they outscore Clemson in this one, 7-6, they even had one of their defensive linemen, Deron Payne, score one of the two offensive touchdowns for the Crimson Tide on a goal line play where he caught a pass from Jalen Hurts. At the Rose Bowl, uh, it was a different story. This one was a basketball game on grass. Georgia with the 54-48 win over Oklahoma in double overtime. Sony Michelle, one of the heroes for the Bulldogs, with three touchdowns, including the game winner, 27 yards in double overtime. And Georgia rallied down 17 points to get that win. They were down 31-14 in the second quarter. So next Monday, it's Alabama versus Georgia, an all-SEC national championship game. Other college football bowl action, Central Florida finishes the season 13-0 with a 34-27 win over Auburn in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. Notre Dame gets by LSU in the Citrus Bowl, 21-17 on a great catch and run late in the fourth quarter by wide receiver Miles Boykin. And South Carolina rallied down 16 points to meet Michigan 26-19 in the Outback Bowl. And finally, Clay, NFL coaching News, the Raiders reportedly intend to hire John Gruden as their next head coach. We had three coaches fired on Monday. Jim Caldwell of the Lions, John Fox of the Bears, and Chuck Pagano of the Colts. And Bruce Arians of the Cardinals announced his retirement. Good stuff as always. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll come back. We'll take a couple more of your calls. 877-996-6369. We'll also talk a little bit about that Georgia and Alabama national title game. Ticket cost and Maybe play you a little bit more of that clip. You just heard the interview from the all-star couple at OutKick. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to OutKick, the coverage. It's an all-SEC title game. Eat it, haters, on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. I know there's not a lot of people who need to hear this, but John Watson, he's pretty good at football. Uh, Stat from my buddy Cole Kublik, he just put out. Clemson total yards versus Alabama in the college football playoff. This is the third straight year they played. 2015, 550 yards. 2016, 511 yards. 2017, 188, including 99 through the first three quarters. This Alabama defense stifled Kelly Bryant and this Clemson offense. That is a pretty golden stat. Here's another one for you. College football national titles in the past 40 years. Lots of Big Ten fans like to argue the SEC is overrated. Just share this stat with anybody who wants to argue that with you. The SEC is going to have 16 and a half national titles in the last 40 years of college football, whether Alabama or Georgia wins. Okay, 16 and a half. And if Georgia wins, it will be six different SEC teams winning national titles since 1998. So if people out there say, SEC's only got one good team, uh, SEC's only got two good teams, well, if Georgia wins, and I think Georgia's going to win, If Georgia wins, then Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Auburn, Alabama, and LSU will all have won national titles in the last 20 years. The Big Ten, in the last 40 years, how many national titles has the conference won? 40 years. Why 40 years? It's two generations. Two generations, maybe three generations in the South. 
uh, <laughs> the Big Ten has got two and a half titles. Two and a half. People say, how do you win a half title? Well, because you don't win an undisputed title. Use your brains. Michigan won a half of a title in my metrics in 1997. They split with Nebraska. And no, I don't count Nebraska titles in the Big 12 as Big Ten national titles. Okay? You have to be in the conference you're in to win the national title there. So the SEC, 16 and a half titles in the last 40 years. The Big Ten with two and a half titles. Uh, Ohio State has two titles, 2002, I believe, and 2014. Uh, another bit of stat, uh, I love Baker Mayfield, enjoyed watching him play all year, thought he often was getting untreated, uh, treated unfairly, whether it was slamming down the flag at midfield or grabbing his crotch during the Kansas game. I like to watch him play. Uh, I was rooting for him to have a good game. And if you're already starting to ask the question for yourself, well, how's Baker Mayfield project in the NFL? Is he going to be the next Russell Wilson or is he going to be the next Johnny Manziel? Uh, You've got some stats there about Baker Mayfield against good defenses. And what do they say, Jason Martin? Yeah, he was pretty stellar against Ohio State. 77.1% completion percentage, three touchdowns, 386 yards. TCU twice at 333 the first time, 243 the second time, seven touchdowns in those games, basically a 66% completion percentage. Yesterday against Georgia, 65.7%, 287 yards, two touchdowns, and his lone interception against the top 20 defense combined. He threw for 69.2% against top 20 defenses with 1,249 yards through the air, 12 touchdowns, and one interception. Only threw six picks on the year. A few came in some weird games for him, but against the top competition, he was nearly flawless. Yeah, now he wasn't very good in the second half, and I think that is uh, the takeaway there. I think he had like 200 yards passing in the first half, maybe finished with uh, less than 100 certainly in the second half and through an interception. But if you are an Oklahoma fan, I think that's what stings the most about this loss. It's tough to lose any time to anybody in double overtime, but to lose in this way where you feel like Baker Mayfield really wasn't unshackled, where Oklahoma basically didn't say, you might beat us, but we're going to go down proverbial guns blazing. Uh, that, I think, was the, uh, was the probably the most frustrating part of this entire game. Again, to me, this was an epic, uh, important shift game, not just for Kirby Smart in his second year at Georgia, but for Nick Saban and right now stamping his dominance of college football once more. Yesterday, I said, look, if Dabo can beat Nick Saban again this year, then I think you have to make an argument that Dabo Sweeney is the best coach in college football. Based on what we saw from Nick Saban, he ain't giving up that title right now. 15-3, and three, which is a remarkable stat to me, 15-3 and three for Nick Saban in national title games where he's 5-1. and one. In SEC title games, where he's seven and one, and in college uh, football playoff games outside of the title games, where he's three and one, there has never been a better big game coach in college football history than Nick Saban. Also, I want to reiterate this again, uh, as many of you are waking up across the country. Thanks so much for what you did for us at Outkick in 2017. You made the year extraordinary. You really did. And now, as we move into 2018 and we approach 300 AM FM affiliates, we got satellite radio, XM uh, channel 202, Sirius channel 218. We've also got things just rolling on the podcast front, millions of you downloading the show. 
every single uh, week and uh, and month there. I appreciate everything that you are doing to spread the gospel of OutKick. I'm telling you, it's going to be an incredible 2018. But I want to reiterate again, props to the playoff selection committee. I don't think that there, anybody else out there is going to say, hey, I want to go back to that playoff selection committee and that controversial decision they made three weeks ago to put Alabama in over Ohio State. I think there's not a single person out there listening to us right now that in the wake of what Alabama did to Clemson can argue that the college football playoff committee didn't get this completely right. Alabama destroyed Clemson last night. I don't think there's any other team in college football that could have beaten Clemson as bad as what Alabama did last night. The committee got criticized. They took it on the chin. They were biased. They were homers for the SEC. Alabama didn't win their division. They didn't win their conference. There's a reason why Alabama's favored to beat Georgia and win the national championship. It's because they're the best team in college football. I think Georgia's going to win because I think Georgia's a little bit better at quarterback. That's why I'm taking Georgia plus four and a half, plus four in this game. The most difficult ticket in the history of college football. I can't wait to get down to Atlanta and do our show live there Monday and Tuesday and really kind of dive into this. Tomorrow we got a loaded show for you. We got college football, uh, maybe a little bit of reaction there, but more importantly, we're going to start to dive into the NFL playoff picture, wild card weekend coming up on Saturday and Sunday. But Jason Martin, it's New Year's Eve, and I want to hit this again. You last year at this time weighed 370 pounds. Right now you weigh 229 pounds for everybody out there listening to us this morning for new year's resolutions you're making you lost the equivalent of a human in weight this past year i did um blessing from god honestly 141 pounds in 10 months it wasn't even a year like my year anniversary will be about two weeks after the super bowl i had hoped by the time i went to the super bowl and this was even thinking about it a month ago that maybe i would be down to somewhere around 235 by that point and I'm already under it I basically lose somewhere on an average of I would say usually I weigh twice a month one of the things a lot of people ask me for advice uh in the regards to my tweet and in regards to what I said at the end of yesterday's program when you kind of talked to me about this and I told him the one piece of advice that as a non-expert I would give is I do my best not to be a slave to the scale it's just something that came to me originally I weigh myself two Saturdays a month and that's it. That way I'm not obsessing over half a pound or whatever each day. I'm not obsessing over each meal. If I knew that if I know that I'm doing the right thing, I know that it's going to be okay. Plus, twice a month means I'm going to see a bigger number. I always underestimate. I'm like, I probably lost two pounds in this last two weeks. And I find out almost every time it's five or six. It gives you more encouragement that way. But I don't, like I said, I, I will give support to anybody who wants support out there that wants to tweet me at jmartoutkick and you know let me know your struggles i had a lot of people with a lot of stories come through over the last day last day and a half uh it's awesome and i hope everybody is blessed the same way that i was if i can do it i promise you you can i was i had no confidence and it's completely changed outstanding stuff it's a great new year's resolution moment from outkick to us from my family to your family happy 2018 Thanks for all you did for us in 17, and I can't look, can't wait for an exciting 2018 as well uh, to roll here on Outkick, the coverage. We'll be back tomorrow at 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, as always, on Outkick, the coverage. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. 
product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.